0: Hello again, everyone. Uh, we are back for another episode of our series discussion podcast. Uh, we don't really have a. We should come up with a title. While Paul's gone, we should come up with a, uh, <laughs> title. a title for our podcast. Um, but it's just our podcast. We do have a very special guest with us today, very Brian special. Nurek. Yeah, uh, Brian is a very yeah. special guest. For those of you who don't know, <laughs> this is Br- so uh, much emphasis on special, very special. <laughs> Yes, uh, Brian was my my one of my predecessors here as a youth pastor. So I have I have big shoes to fill, uh, high expectations. Uh, I get the privilege of pastoring his daughter now, which is cool. Mara, I believe you were in youth group at some oh, point. Oh, for when, like this when much. When and so,
1: yeah, sitting here. I told him once, and I'm like, this good is going to be my dream. And he looked at me like, and I was like, oh, I feel like Brian has <laughs> overlooked dream so bigger. many like cringeworthy <laughs> moments in my life. So the fact that we're sitting here together, it really is. We've, it's a good I thing. I feel like we've kind full of circle. come. That's well, right. I don't even want to say full circle yet, but we're, we're getting <laughs> We're close. <laughs> we round, round, round
0: and third and headed for home. That's right. All. That's right. all there. Yep. You baseball fans. Um, Anyway, so uh, yeah, so here we are, we're on week six Six, of Epic, uh, our our summer series, oh, this says week six on my notes if I would just look there, (laughs) Uh, week six of Epic, uh, talking about Gideon, and so uh, Mara, why don't you catch us up where we're at in this series.
1: So I feel like we've laughed at every title we've had for every series (laughs) during this whole season, because Epic, like, that's not the word I would necessarily use to describe this summer but um (laughs) this is this is where we find special would be better this is where we find ourselves and um we're still just walking through this with the israelites um we've kind of hit a moment here where um we're seeing them it almost feels like they're circling the drain here we just got that cycle of, of rebellion and then turning back and um how even through that they're like God still is moving them forward. He's still accomplishing his purposes through this very broken um, group of people. So today we're going to hit a little bit of the story of Gideon, and there's a lot to it. Um, Brian, if you want to give us a little bit of a, a rundown, some high points, low points.
2: So um, Gideon found, the story Gideon found in the book of Judges, um, 6, 7, and 8, chapter 6, 7, and 8. And um, the idea behind the story, the introduction to the story, is the fact that, um, the very opening line is, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, which is what sets up the whole, <laughs> the whole problem. Um, the Bible tells us that for seven years, the Midianites um, basically are invading or occupying Israel. Uh, they're not actually living uh, per se in Israel, but the idea is that every time the Israelites plant crops and harvest, uh, the Midianites roll through and take whatever they want, um, uh, regardless of what it is. Um, offspring of cattle, they take what they want. And so the Israelites are living in the mountains, in caves, and up in the hills, and they're basically in hiding in their own land all the time. Um, It's in the midst of this that God speaks to them and says, you know, I'm your God, I've delivered you from the hands of oppressors, but you didn't do what I asked you to, and you didn't listen to me. And so this finds us looking at the character of Gideon, who at the beginning of the story is actually hiding in a wine press trying to make bread. Um, So he's in the wrong place for making bread. (laughs) Um, wine press, the idea was that there was a flat floor. And so he's actually trying to thresh the wheat to separate the wheat and chaff um, and hiding as he's doing it because he doesn't want the Midianites to come and take his bread. Um, And God speaks to Gideon and God says, um, basically the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, which sets up a really interesting um, back and forth between Gideon and the angel of the Lord. Uh, Gideon says, if you're who you say you are, why are we in the situation that we're in? And God doesn't really answer him, but says, there are things I want you to do, go and do these things. And Gideon says back, "Um, I'm the weakest, I'm the youngest. Uh, There's different interpretations of what he means. He says, I'm the least of my people, the least of my family. And God says, still, I'm going to be with you. And so Gideon says to God, okay, um, let me prepare an offering for you. And so he does that. And God waits on him, and God blesses the offering. And um, as the Lord touches the the altar, the offering it it goes up in flame. And Gideon realizes that he's seen the seen the Lord, and he's afraid. And uh, God speaks to him and says, "Don't be afraid. And here's some things I want you to do. Um, One of the first things that he wants him to do is he wants him to go in his father's backyard and cut down the uh, the symbol of the idol of Baal in his dad's backyard. Um, And we see this is. I mean, we talk about this more if we want to. We want to, but um, Gideon does it, but he does it in the middle of the night because he's afraid. <laughs> so, you know, he sneaks around. Or smart. Right, right, We're right. right smart. Afraid or smart, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Right. So he, he does this. He cuts down this altar. Um, and it actually, when his people find out, they change his name. They change his name to Jerob Baal, which basically means Baal's going to deal with you. Um, it's not a courageous thing. It's a, <laughs> it's a well, you're going to get yours kind of thing. Um, Gideon then goes on to say, I want to do what you want me to do, but I'm, I'm afraid. And so in probably one of the best known parts of Gideon's story, Gideon says to God, I'll obey you, but I need you to show me, which always blows my mind. He just set an altar on fire. <laughs> he says, I need you to show me that you are who you say you are. So I'm going to take a wolf fleece and I'm going to put it out on this threshing floor. And tomorrow morning, if the dew from the overnight has made the fleece wet and the ground is dry, I'll do what you say. I'll, I'll follow whatever you tell me to do. And the Bible tells us that Gideon gets up the next day, squeezes fleece out, and there's a bowl full of water. Um, one would think that would be enough. But Gideon says to God, don't be angry. Let me ask you one more <laughs> request. He says, let's do it this way. Next time, make the fleece dry and make the ground wet, if you would. And so the Bible tells us that God did so. At, at the end of chapter 6, God did what Gideon asked him. Fleece is dry, ground is wet. So this takes us into chapter 7, and this is the action that Gideon follows, or, or this is the big thing that Gideon does in God's name. He gathers, um, take a picture, i look at my, 20, no, how many we go? What number are we looking at? How many men does he gather? Oh, uh, was 20, 22,000. 20, yeah, 22,000. Yes. He gathers 22,000 men who are willing to go and fight. Now, I, admit, I didn't mention this at the beginning, but the Bible tells us that the Midianites are too numerous to count. Um, that when they're camped in these valleys, that they're like locusts on the ground. You can't count them. Yeah. So anybody who thinks 22,000 men should take care of everything, this is actually just a fraction of what the Midianites have. So Gideon gathers 22,000 guys, and God tells him, tell you what, the problem is if you win this battle, outnumbered as you are with these men, it's going to look like you did it and I didn't. So tell you what, we're going to we are going to have a little test, and we're going to make sure that we're going to kind of weed these guys out. And the very second famous scene from uh, the story of Gideon, God tells them to go down the water. The guys who stick their face in the water, um, get rid of them. The guys who cup the water with their hands and drink, we're good there. And so 300 men drink from their cupped hands. So God gets rid of 21,700 of these guys and leaves, and leaves 300 behind. Um, and so that's what Gideon has. That's who he has to go and fight the Midianites. The night before he attacks, Gideon's standing outside the Midianite camp. He has a vision, or no? I'm sorry. He hears some soldiers of the Midianites who've had a vision that their camp is overrun, and to Gideon that is God's way of confirming that this is about to happen and God's going to be victorious. And so Gideon takes them in, he divides them into three groups of a hundred. Each guy has a torch. Each guy has a pot, basically, or a clay jar, and a trumpet. And they put the jar, the torches in the jars. And when Gideon sounds the call, they burst the torches or the the jars on the ground and the torches kind of explode in the night. And this is in three different places around the Midianite encampment. And what God does is God convinces the Midianites that the Israelites are attacking even when they aren't, and the Midianites start to slaughter themselves. They start fighting each other in the confusion. And Gideon sounds a trumpet and you know for God and it's it's a complete, it's a complete overwhelming route. Um, Gideon doesn't even lose a single guy. And so What this sets us up for is for chapter 8, where Gideon basically uh, calls back the men in the hills who had been left behind, these 21,000 men, and says, now it's our time. God has delivered the Midianites to us. Let's hunt them down. We're going to go through the land and and purge the land of these guys. And so that's basically what they do in chapter 8. And the Bible tells us that towards the end of this story, that Gideon brings a season of peace to Israel. Um, his, his son is raised in this idea of leadership. His son's son is raised in this idea of leadership. But the sad truth is the story ends almost the way it begins. Um, Gideon dies. The Israelites, as soon as Gideon dies, well, I'm sorry, I'm back up a little bit. Gideon takes all the plunder that was uh, promised him from the defeating the Midianites, and he actually makes um, an altar uh, out of this gold. He melts it down and makes an altar. And the Bible says that that's a stumbling block for him. That in fact, they say that it's a, it's a snare to yeah. his family. Um, so that at the end of his life, he has brought peace to Israel. But at the end of his life, as soon as he dies, um, the Bible even almost says it's almost like his body isn't cold in the grave, that the Israelites go right back to worshiping Baal and they go right back to the way that things were before Gideon uh, came on the scene. And so it's, it's a challenging story because... It's sad at the end that yeah. things don't. It's not permanent change.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so just I, I said the wrong number. Twenty-two thousand was. After yeah, uh, yeah. was at, so it started at thirty two thousand yep twenty two thousand left and then ten thousand were left and then 3, 3, 000, right. 300, so they cut uh, down regardless down. yeah <laughs> right. we right. whittled we whittled away <laughs> and then, uh, right. a whole lot of of people <laughs> a lot of division and classification yeah, and yeah. Dra- math is hard <laughs> math <laughs> is really <laughs> hard it's for sure I don't <laughs> <laughs> yes math we are not mathematicians not um, yeah so uh, man so much action in this story um so many funny things really mm-hmm. uh, ironic things uh, just there's a whole lot here um wh- what do you guys what do you guys see what what's sticking out to you where do you want to go
1: like i feel like let's talk about the idea of this this idea of putting out a fleece sure like I don't know. When is when is that okay? When is it okay to say, hey God, I need you to show me a little bit more. I need a little bit more confirmation before I act. And I don't know what, yeah. are,
0: what are your thoughts on um, that. Um I mean because very clearly there's also places where it says do not put mm-hmm. Lord your God to to the test. Mm-hmm. Um right. and this idea of testing. Um I don't know, I think when when is it okay to put a fleece? Man, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't I don't think I have an answer. I think maybe um, the, maybe the deeper question or the, the question behind the question there, maybe, and and maybe, maybe not, but, um, how do I know when something is the will of God Mm -hmm. or how, you know, how do I test the will of God? Not not necessarily when is it okay to put God to the test or to to test him, Mm -hmm. but how do, how do we test, um, the will of God? How do we, how do we know what the will of God is? Maybe that's a, That, well, I started to say maybe that would be an easier question to answer. (laughs) I'm all ears. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not an easier, but maybe a more productive
2: question. I think, I was thinking about this a lot as we were preparing for this. Um, I think it's interesting to look at the other characters in the Bible who have kind of ask this of God. I mean, I think about Moses who stands in the desert and God says, here's what I want you to do. And Moses all but tells God no, like what, 37 times? You know, mm-hmm. he gives him the ability to turn, you know, a staff into a snake and to heal, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. God physically shows him things, which is a lot of times what we want. I want a mm-hmm. physical sign yeah. and God gives it to him. And he still says, I'm not, you know, to the point where God, you know, if I, if everything's right, you know, gets a little frustrated, says, fine, take Aaron, you know, he'll mm-hmm. talk. Um, and then I think about, you know, we've been talking about Joshua and this idea that he says, hey, you're going to take that fortified city. And Joshua doesn't go, uh, well, give me a sign. Joshua's like, all right, let's do it now, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, part of me wonders if this idea, our concept of putting a fleece out, is kind of taken away from the fact that God knows us personally. I think maybe we cheapen the personalization of God in us. Mm and i think also there's a connection to when god is asking us to lead and do something in other words when the pressure is on us personally versus god has a task that he wants done in joshua's case and yeah. and, and god had shown joshua thing you know, joshua had grown watching what had happened you know, the you know, the escape from egypt you know all those things right i think there's some differentiation there um, it's interesting to me that god never from what I'm reading here, loses his patience with Gideon's repeated requests mm-hmm. for something else. You know, if you'll just do this one thing, if you'll just do this, then if you'll just do this one thing. And I think God knows Gideon well enough to know you've lived. I mean, regardless of how old Gideon is, he's lived for seven years hiding in caves. He hasn't seen a whole lot of God's quote unquote blessing in his tribe situation, albeit because of their own fault. Sure. But I think God's patient with him and hears right. him out and, yeah. You know, God could have easily said, I don't need to show you anything. Mm. You know mm. what I mean? I'm saying do it and do it. And yet yeah. in this case, he's patient with him. Mm. Um, I think God knew that Gideon was as lacking in confidence for himself. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, in, in, as much as it's he's not questioning God's wanting to do something, he's questioning himself. And mm. so God's saying, okay, I'll show you that you're the one I've chosen. Here's some of the things I want you to do. You know, here's some things you ask. I'll do it for you. Almost like an equipping kind of
0: thing. Mm-hmm. Like he gives him mm-hmm. exactly what he,
2: what he needs. Which, which, as you were saying that,
0: uh, I started thinking of, of Thomas, mm-hmm. and, uh, and mm-hmm. Thomas and doubting Thomas, and and what he needed is exactly what Jesus offered him. Right to touch, to physically touch that. So I love that idea of, of God knowing us mm-hmm. and knowing us enough to know what we need. Um, again, I, I like what that you. You emphasize to convince Gideon that he could do it. Not mm-hmm. so much to, for God to prove that He could do it, sure. yeah. but to convince Gideon that he could could do that. I like that. That's good.
1: It's interesting. It's kind of like, okay, if you're going to do this impossible thing, can you do one small <laughs> sure, impossible yeah. sure. thing? Sure. First? Yeah, like yeah, you, yeah. If you need me yep. to, like, yeah. can we do a little Just impossible thing, and right. then sure. then that bigger impossible thing seems more. Hmm. possible yeah yeah. yeah. That's
2: but, interesting. and to me i think it's interesting that we don't ever see like the in between where god makes this fleece you know wet and dry mm-hmm. we're getting we don't see the light bulb moment we're getting like okay now it's now it's cool but as you read the rest of the story he doesn't seem to have any other self-doubt moments i mean to the point of i mean he he routes mm-hmm. the midianites completely yeah. out of the kingdom yeah. I mean, there isn't a whole lot of Maybe I shouldn't be doing this now. Hmm. Like, once he's convinced that he's the guy God's chosen, he runs with it. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, I I wish we could see that in between where he says, okay, now I believe. Yeah. That did it for me. Right. Yeah. That was nice. So thank you. Yeah.
1: I love that you mentioned in there, like, the idea of him personally knowing us or even, like, our personality. Because it does seem like there are some people Mm -hmm. that just need a little more proof. They Mm -hmm. need a little more guy. They need a little more. um, And so when we talk and act like, doubt is hmm. so destructive or it's such a negative thing. It's like that's not usually yeah. how doubt is handled. Right. right. When we talk about when talk that's about good. people questioning God. It's not usually him saying, Oh, you're done. That's it. Like you asked a question and we're out. Right. It's always a kind of answering that question. Maybe not in the way that he wanted an answer. Like he sure. said, how do I like where he didn't answer those questions directly at sure. times, but there was an answer. I was even thinking like Zachariah with um, saying, well, how am I going to know like, that Elizabeth's going to have a baby? And he's like, oh, if you want a sign? Here it is. Like, yep. you're going to be mute. <laughs> so I feel like it was, he answered the question. <laughs> right? But it was yeah. not, uh, it was maybe it, not the yeah. sign that he was sure. hoping
2: for. Yeah. Right. Hmm. But it was the sign that worked. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I, mean, sure. I, I think that speaks again to just how much God knows us. Right. You know, uh, like you said, Zechariah probably never in his wildest dreamed would the thought that God would have, you know, made him mute for the <laughs> length of time. Of all things, he could have shown him something else far more impressive, but that's what changed his heart. That's what got him to convinced and believe. So, yeah, I know. I I think, I think God knows us, and we say this, but I think the application of it, God knows us individually far better than we know ourselves. Even to the point of, I don't know that I believe that you want to use me. How he chooses to convince us is tailor made to who we are. Right. So let's let's make that practical
0: then. because I've never had a moment as dramatic and as much of a physical sign as an altar spontaneously combusting or uh, fleeces becoming wet or dry. Um, The truth is, is that most people probably don't have such a physical sign when they're looking for God's will. So maybe let's make that a little bit more practical now, how do we how do we know what God's will? How does God? Maybe that's a better question. What are some other ways that God uh, affirms his his will in our lives? Does that make sense? What I'm trying to yeah, what, I'm, what I'm asking there, rather than a fleece being wet or dry. Sure. What are maybe some very real, right now ways that 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 might happen? I so like for me, it's the words of other people that mm-hmm. yeah, I, um, community. mentors, sure. um, man, when there's, when there are things that I'm just like, I'm feeling like Gideon, not, you know, not battle or things like that, but decisions that I have to make or direction that God is, is maybe calling. Um, like I, I do need some of that convincing mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and I've found, um, that, words of, again, words of, of mentors, um, are, are, significant in that where I can just, I can pick their brain. I can say, Hey, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm thinking. Help me process it through that. Uh, I think is, is significant in, uh, in that. And so it's nothing as dramatic as a, uh, as a altar burning up, <laughs> but it is, it's, it's one of those things where God uses those people in my life, in my life to, uh, to, to provide whatever words they are that, that, that are needed and in, in that uh, encouragement and direction. So that's just one thing that I've experienced.
1: Yeah, I was kind of thinking like community is what kind of popped in my head. Just thinking like we talk about how well God knows this, but also like we're all blessed to be in, in community and fellowship with other True. people mm-hmm. who also like know us well. And if you don't have people that you feel like you can be open and honest and genuine with, like, seek out those relationships. Because when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, like there are moments when I get to speak truth into my yeah. friend's life and they do the same yeah. for me. And yeah. so sometimes there's, I have not even said a word about something and someone will say something to me. And it's like, there's no way you would have known that I right. was struggling with that or thinking through that. Like, it's just so off the wall. But in that moment, I just feel like my ears perk up and it's like, okay, wait a minute. I need, I need to listen into this because I'm, I don't believe in coincidences.
2: Right. I was gonna say, and this is gonna sound weird, but um, I feel like the older I get, and I know I'm significantly older than you guys, but <laughs> I don't know about significant. Oh, like it, it, like, it feels that seems significant. like a. <laughs> it feels significant. Uh, the the older I get, the more I feel like God is teaching me to not take circumstance for granted. Uh, and that that's the weirdest thing in the world to say, because I think that almost makes the conversation spin back to waiting for some magic moment from God, but god has confirmed things in my life god i don't even know how to say this right way i've had major questions of god and he's confirmed that he's walking with me in a situation by doing things in the minor areas of my life Hmm. that if i didn't pay enough attention to them i would have just taken a circumstance Hmm. or happenstance when when i see the answer to the small things it's confirmation that he is not he's not abandoned me in the big things i just need to wait and be patient Um, and that happens in conversations. That happens in. Um, I can not tell you, many times I've run into someone that I didn't expect to see somewhere, and in a brief conversation with them, some some enlightenment has come from God. Then he's pointed to me and said, "Do you think, you know, what, did you think that was a mistake, you know?" And I'm okay. So you you were with me there. Um, I I think I think there's something to be said about the fact that Gideon doesn't seem to have had any of those moments in his life prior to this. Mm-hmm. He needed something mm-hmm. big from God, yeah. um, and and I think there. Are, I think people ask the question, when am I allowed to ask God to, to prove, and when am I not? Mm-hmm. Again, personalization, but you know, I think, I think for what the things that God has shown us in our life, for us mm-hmm. to say, God, okay, God, if you want me to do something for you, then you need to. I think that would offend yeah. the heart of God because sure. He has shown us yeah, things, yes. you know. Yeah. So I don't know, I, mm. I, but I, there's just there's little things that God confirms the big things in. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and I know that sounds generic and vague, but it's specific to me. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. It, for sure. A conversation with my neighbor yesterday uh, about a need I was praying about, and all of a sudden out of nowhere, the answer came from my neighbor, and I was, mm-hmm. you know, I thought, what in the world? Mm-hmm. You know, and God yeah. said, "Hey, heard you ask me about that three <laughs> weeks ago. <laughs> no, you know, hadn't forgotten, even though yeah. you might have. You yeah. Know? yeah. So it was just it was mm. a big thing. Yeah. I love it. The
0: You you said there that those little moments that show that have shown you that God is with you. Mm -hmm. And so as I'm thinking through this and I'm thinking, you know, when we're talking about discerning the call of God or the the will of God or or God telling you to do something, we we often think of these kind of big, big decisions, Mm -hmm. big moments, things like that. I'm I don't know. I'm convinced that there are times in our lives where God doesn't have that very specific, mm-hmm. like, this is what you are to do right now. I think there's a lot of times where we, we get to choose. Yep. I th- and, I agree. And, and so, so what uh, to bring that back to what you're saying, though, this idea that maybe God's not going to show me this exact, like, this is what I want you to do right now. Mm-hmm. But those previous conversations or uh, those previous confirmations that I've had in my life that God is with me, gives me the courage to say, this is what I'm going to do at God's leading, whether it's this exact thing or there's options, but I'm clinging to God is with me as yeah. I make that decision. And, and man, that is, that's huge. Um, I think it's more significant than God showing us this, you know, exactly. Like, this is what you're going to do now. This is what oh, you're sure. do now. Yeah. This is idea of, as we follow God, God is with us. Yeah. and that's that's huge
1: i love that idea that sometimes it's those small reassurances in those just micro moments that give you what you need to keep on mm-hmm. as you're pursuing the bigger things i had a friend yeah. tell me about just even something so like being on a run and she's like, just being so hot and just like just feeling like she's like i i just didn't even feel like i could make it home and she's like and then a cool breeze she's like yeah. and in that moment she was i just felt yeah. so loved and she's like that was just it was like that breeze was just for me and right. just to be like if we are willing to take more of those moments and just be like, you know what? This this right here could be a measure of his love for you. Yeah. This right here could be a, a tangible expression of his presence with you. Yeah. Um, Full something.
0: disclosure, I never feel the presence of God on <laughs> it was the wind. It was the wind, <laughs> wind out of doors. You're not doing that right. Then. No. Oh, <laughs> it's so the like complete opposite the president the president. of the presence <laughs> yeah, <I> of <don't> <laughs> running. It's praying for more presence of Yes, yes, yes. Uh, no, to
1: that extent I think sometimes we also wait for like the moment. Yeah. We sit there like, sure. thinking yeah. and I think it was Henry Now who said something about like, what if this is the mm. moment? Yep. Like we aren't even realizing yep. that what's happening right now, yep. like, this this is it. Right. This is the moment you're waiting for. This is right. your moment.
2: In in a lot of ways, I think we have. And I don't know. I don't want to tangent off into a totally different conversation. But um, you know, we all must have kind of created this fear that if you're not doing exactly what God wants you to do in the moment, that you're doing it wrong. And what I hear you guys saying, and what I hear resonated through all this, is. It's not what God is telling us to do. It's who's asking us to be yep. in the exactly moments right. that we live. That's it's exactly a be right. versus do. Mm-hmm. I'm not messing up what my life plan is supposed to to be doing as mm-hmm. long as I'm being who God yep. asks me to be, yep. which is far more relevant and sure. far more yep. powerful. Um, I think far too often we we get enamored by the flash in the pan moments, the big moments, mm-hmm. which really don't have huge ripple effects. Across, you know I mean? Yep. Across the majority of our life, yep. it's the small every day. Yep. Yeah. And that, and that's also so much harder to do to be consistent. You know, again, farther other things, huge, yeah,
1: yeah. No, and see, I don't say that as a tangent at all because I see with um, in Gideon, like that's a lifelong pursuit yeah. to be who God wants right. you and has created you to be is a lifelong pursuit. And sometimes we sit there and think that that one mistake is what disqualifies right. us, but then we look at a story like Gideon, and it's like, well, his one success <laughs> didn't, didn't, right. didn't guarantee anything. Like right. he, he, in some ways, disqualified himself. Like, yep. Because he didn't make that his life pursuit, right. he he was obedient in that moment, and God's purposes were accomplished. But like he didn't live that.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's good. I agree. That's good. Just be. That's my teenagers. If they're watching this, they <laughs> will they will recognize that. Just be. Just be. It's not just about be. do. It's just be. Just be. Cool. Um, let's. We're we're running a little little short on time, but I want to. Um, I want to talk, and I specifically want to talk about this because as I was preparing for the sermon uh, last week, this this end in in chapter eight was just so intriguing to me. But like, I just couldn't, I couldn't really explore it in the sermon because yeah. yeah. I only have so much time right. uh, to preach. Um, but this this ephod I don't know if that's how you say it, um, ephod, ephod, whatever, ephod, ephod, yeah. <laughs> the ephod that that Gideon that Gideon creates, and, and kind of in my. I said, like, what is an ephod? And it was kind of this, like, relic of a, of a or an artifact of, of war that was created to commemorate what was done here. And it's that very thing that became a, a snare, is what it says, to Gideon and his family. And then right after, like you said, as, as soon as Gideon died, um, it was back on this cycle of, of following this idol. And and this is so intriguing to me because, and maybe I'd just like to hear your guys' thoughts. Um <clears throat> The thing that was the snare was a symbol of what God had done for them. Right. Yeah. Um, this, like <laughs> the story of Judges 6 and 7 and the first part of 8 is like such a significant story of God at work in and through the people of God. And there's this relic that is created, uh, kind of a memorial stone, like we talked mm-hmm. about um, after uh, crossing the river. Um, this was essentially that, and that's the very thing that caused them to return to that cycle of of following uh, an idol or worshiping an idol. And it's just so intriguing to me. Are there times in our lives, uh, and we can unpack this just a little bit, uh, are, are there times in our lives where the the something, the, um, a memorial stone or whatever it is, an item, um that represents a time in our life or, or God working in our life. There times when that becomes more important than God working in our lives mm-hmm. in and of itself. Yeah. So fascinating to me and intriguing, but I think that it has a lot of implications to us now because I think that we're probably not too far off. So I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. <laughs>
1: That's a big question. I mean, I feel like sometimes we even think about like the American dream. Like, you think if you made it to the car and the two, um, the two cars and the house and all stuff like that, you've you've achieved mm-hmm. the American dream. And like, I think that almost like your possessions can stand as mm-hmm. a um, as a visual display of of God's favor in your life or His yeah. blessings on you. And it's really easy once you have those things to live out of fear of losing them, mm-hmm. and to where that can become. I mean, I can become an idol, a snare, or whatever you want to call it in your life, but just this idea that the things that I have show people that God loves me or that I'm walking in his will and I'm mm. blessed with these things because of this. And I think that that can be a really um, slippery yeah. slope. I don't know if that kind of answers your question. No, it's it does. It's,
0: it's, yeah, it's the, the symbol of blessing
2: mm-hmm. becomes more important than the blessing itself. I was going to say, I see a parallel between the fleece and the ephod. Mm. Um, Do something for me physically so I know what you want me to do. Mm. I'm going to create something physical so that I remember what you did for me. Mm. But you have to concentrate on remembering that symbol that you've created has to be something that, you know, if if it's to serve its purpose has to be something that you work diligently on, remembering why that was made. Mm-hmm. And we're not God. You know what I mean? I mean God, you know, God could make fleeces wet and dry all the I mean he can do anything he wants. Um he did that for that moment in Gideon's life so that Gideon would know that he had chosen him. Um, Gideon tries to replicate the process. And again, and this wasn't just a Gideon thing. This is my understanding of this whole thing is it's massively cultural. You yeah, take yes. plunder that had been taken from you and now you're taking it and repurposing it almost in a symbolic purging of who had taken you know what I mean? mm-hmm. it's, it's, it, was, it was an important symbolic gesture. It was something and it wasn't something that he had just created himself. this had been gone for generations. But we see time and time again where like you said, because he's not God, he doesn't Gideon doesn't work on looking on that thing and saying, this is what God did for us. this is mm-hmm. what God did for us. this is what God did for us so like you said the thing that was created in memory of what god has done becomes the thing which becomes worship which i think then that goes right back around how many times do we need god to show us and how many times does the thing that god show us become the thing that you know mm-hmm. that's what you're asking I, I think i've seen this sometimes working with youth you know the altar experience the emotive output the, and I, i'm not cheapening any alter experience whatsoever yeah. Yeah. but i have experienced times with kids when that that feeling, that emotional wow. outpouring that they got became what they connected to and not the truth of what God spoke yeah. to them, maybe yeah. quietly or the way he's confirmed things in their life. And I, I say youth, but I mean, I know mm. I, myself as an adult, have yeah. felt that before, yeah. even to the point of saying, I wish I could have that experience yeah. again. Mm. I wish I could feel that way again. Mm. And that, you know I mean? Do I want the feeling or do I want what God yeah. showed me and the change that's so, yeah. supposed to come out of it? Yeah. I, I think that's a modern day interpretation sure. of that. And you know, I mean, if we go full disclosure, there have been times when I've said, God, if you will just speak to me now like you speak, spoke to me then, mm. <laughs> I think I was going, well, that worked for them. Yeah. I don't want to do that for you yeah. now. Yeah. I want to do something different mm-hmm. if you'll listen
1: it's like the big moments should be seeking pointing us to seeking Him in the small moments. And when mm-hmm. we sit there and say, well, I only am gonna hear you in the big moments. Yep. We're missing it, we're right. missing a lot. Yeah.
2: And every time you try to replicate that, I mean, yeah, every time you try it. to whip up some sort of emotional yeah. connection or, and, and that's not what the purpose of why we worship and why we do what we mm-hmm. do, but I've stood in services before and thought, well, I'm trying to get mm-hmm. out of this service, what I've gotten before. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't God's intention for that mm-hmm. service or for the people leading or for my mm-hmm. participation in that service.
0: Yeah, and it goes so far as to kind of saying that we need those same elements mm-hmm. or like I need to sing those same songs mm-hmm. that I, you know, where I experience God so real. Mm-hmm. It is very much, you know, I got to replicate that. Um, and so at what point does does the, do the elements become more important?